And it's funny because we hear the ding on our phone that we have an email and I think and I say, wow, if Mark Cuban at his success level is emailing at 3 a.m., I better respond, you know? Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 67 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I've got Hannah Lim, founder of La La Land, where they sell innovative modern straw sippy cups that are BPA-free and made in the USA. And so in this episode, we'll talk about product design and really not having this background and getting into manufacturing as a new mom and scaling the business, uh, putting down 100K with her husband into building this up, um, including mortgaging the house and kind of doing a little uh, kind of risky things. And so while We'll talk about her appearance on the Shark Tank and what has happened since then. And so the blog post to check out this week is from the Google Webmaster blog where they went into more detail about the recent Hummingbird update they had. And what was funny is that they actually added a Penguin 2.1 update in where they were hinting that uh, keyword stuffing and spun content is going to be penalized. And if you look at the blog post, I think they said it affects about 3% of search queries. And so what does this mean? As an e-commerce owner, you want to make sure uh, you have an idea of how your SEO firm, if you are using one, how they're building links. You know, are they using spammy tactics or are they doing really wide? hat ways uh, that are really getting more traffic and rankings for your site because you want to be careful because when Google changes the rules like this you never know uh, when they can hit you and if you're too dependent on them this is kind of a big downside risk too so uh, check it out I'll link to it in the show notes and a little some updates and news on my side uh, we got DCBKK meetup in a few weeks so uh, kind of our mastermind annual meetup uh, kind of excited because we'll have a couple of friends from the podcast there uh, Andrew Udarian at eCommerce Fuel uh, Matt Kowalik I had cap in uh, David Heekenberger from Traffic42 and a couple other guests that have been on. We're just going to go catch up and see what everyone's been up to the past year. And so cool thing is it's in uh, Bangkok. We got about 200 people. Uh, super stoked. There's, you know, if you've never been to a mastermind event, you know, just being around so many other entrepreneurs that are doing the same thing you're doing with the same mindset uh, goals, visions in life. It's just really electrifying. And so it reminds me of a quote that I saw last year uh, by Robert Kiyosaki, where he says, the richest people in the world look for and build networks. Uh, everyone else looks for work. So with that being said, uh, let's just get into this week's episode. So everyone, welcome to the show. Today I've got Hannah Lim from Lala Cup today, where we're going to talk about her business and her appearance on Shark Tank. So very quick, Hannah, uh, for those who may not know who you are, uh, who are you and what do you do? Okay, my name is Hannah Lim. We're based out in the Los Angeles area, and I am the founder and part owner now of Lala Cup. The flagship product is Lala Cup, and that's the one that we went on Shark Tank with. Just to give you a little background, when my first daughter, I now have three daughters, but when my first daughter was nine months old, our pediatrician recommended weaning her off baby bottles and go straight to a straw cup. You know, I would go to Target and diapers.com and all these websites, and I just could not find one that my daughter could use. They just had all these spill-proof valves, and yeah, it's great. The cup doesn't spill, but my daughter just could not suck out of 
of that. It was really hard. So I said, I told my husband, I said, why don't they just have regular straw cups? And why can't we just eliminate these challenges for kids? And also, I just wanted something a little more high design, I guess. Everything here, at least in the U.S., was plastered with Disney princesses and Dora the Explorer and all this licensed material. And I'm kind of a minimalist. So I just wanted something high design and easy for my daughter to use. And also, I was also looking for USA made products. Um, I think as a first time mom, you're sort of paranoid about things. And I fell into that trap. So that's what I was looking for. And that's, you know, where it started. Just in the future, whenever I had my first kid, why do you need to wean off a bottle to a straw or... <laughs> okay, why? So, so you know, you, your babies start drinking from a bottle and then they hit this point where, in theory, your baby at three years old could still drink milk from a bottle, but it's sort of socially unacceptable. So, oh, okay. yeah. So, and also weaning, it's kind of a big milestone, I think, for kids. You just... You know, it's that next step. They're now not drinking from a bottle and they're using cups. You're going from a baby to a kid, officially a kid. Exactly. Baby to a toddler. The thing that my pediatrician was telling me that I had no idea before was there's a difference between cups and sippy cups. So sippy cups are the ones that have these little flat nubs. And apparently they just don't help with kids' speech and dental development. And so many pediatricians nowadays are recommending that even young babies try to use straws because it apparently requires different kinds of muscles that help in speech development for kids. Whereas if you don't use it, you just kind of go like that. And then... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your mouth is doing nothing and liquid pours in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the guy that's just drooling and he can't speak. Huh, interesting. All right. And so, you know, when you first had this idea, I mean, did you have a product design background? I know it was, it's kind of like a husband and wife project, right? Did you guys have someone do the design for you or how did you get the first prototype? I had no design experience. I'm actually not very artistic at all. I, I used to be a high school chemistry teacher and my husband has always sort of had this entrepreneurship bug. Um, he was in business school at the time when I had my first child and he ran like a vintage men's t-shirt line. He's not a designer by any means. He just, he founded the company and he hired designers to design his t-shirts and whatnot. So when I came up with this idea and talked to him about it, he said, look, you know, I'm in school and I have my own business. So, but if you want to just try to chip away at it, and if you think it's viable in the next few months, we'll go forward. So that's kind of what happened. So everything was sort of, I mean, I want to say outsourced. Like we were, and it was really just asking around. Like our our graphic designers that we first used were just friends of ours and art students at the time. Yeah, it was very grassroots. Like I, I tell people now, they say, how did you get this design off the ground? And I said, um, I used Google. I mean, I literally sat there going, how to make a prototype. And <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what the tools are available now and kind of there's like this ignorance is bliss thing where you just kind of figure things out as you go, I think, where if you realize how much work there was to do, I think it kind of would give people second thoughts too. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and it's funny because with these factories, you you need someone to manufacture the product. At first, I was on the internet saying plastics manufacturing and I would find a few here locally in the Los Angeles area. And so I would just make an appointment and I showed up. And they're like, who's this little Asian lady? (laughs) You know, and they never take me serious. Like they walk in and they say, oh, you have a nice little project. And 
So, but they were nice enough to talk to me. And, you know, I just kept asking them everyone I met a million questions. And that's just where it started, you know? Yeah, they must have been like, oh, this is like a high school garage project. Lady, you need like, you know, 20,000 orders and a mold and exactly. all this stuff too, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, you, how did you convince them to take you seriously eventually then? Well, I realized after my first few meetings um, that I was a joke and said, you know what, let me, I'm going to go back. I bought a book on how to write a business plan. And I thought, you know, if I have a legitimate 30 page business plan, people will take me more seriously. And so that's what I did. I wrote, I spent a good like week writing a very detailed pretty awesome business plan, actually, that I've really actually adhered to. I walked in there and like, look, this is my business plan. This is my plan on how I'm going to launch this. And this is the money that I'm going to put into it and exactly where I'm going to get it. And so please help me and partner with me. And that's how we ended up starting. Nice. And everyone tells me the plan, the planning process is great. But once you kind of like fire the first bullet, everything kind of goes to hell, right? Was that the case for you too? or No, it wasn't. That's the funny part is everything, like I just revisited my business plan the other day because I applied for a grant recently. I was surprised at how closely I've stuck to that plan. You know, you have it there as a resource and you just, you got to keep referring back to it. And if you're really driven and committed, you just can't stray from that. You know, that's your goal. Like that's what you set out to do. And I understand, you know, at some point on the Shark Tank, I remember hearing you guys uh, putting in 100K to start this business. So when did you realize that, okay, let's just go all out with this and put the investment in? What we did was we put our savings, which was not much, into getting the initial sort of legwork done. And then when we were at the point where, okay, we needed to make a mold, that was our biggest point because the mold was about a hundred thousand wow yeah molds are really expensive i heard in asia they're like 20 30k and that's like the low end too i know and well our cup has so many parts so we a hundred thousand is a lot and yes we could have maybe gotten it done better in asia but at the time as a small business and you're starting out you have no experience in this industry and and plastics in general we just wanted to keep it here just so we could actually monitor it and know what's happening we didn't have i mean we have children so we we can't be flying back and forth from asia all the time so yeah so when we needed the money for the mold that's when we were like all right we got to apply for the small business loan are we really going to do this we put our house on collateral it was you know, that I think that was the point where the design work's done. Like, are we going to do this and can this sell? But wasn't that scary if you put your house on mortgage and you have like a little girl? And yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, what was that mindset like back then? I mean, back then, it's, it's, it's really stupid of us <laughs> and very irresponsible. You know, we also, we're young and I said, look, I'm, if anything, I could always go back to teaching chemistry. It's a stable position. It's always... There are always jobs available. And, you know, my husband the same. He has his MBA. We were like, you know, our kids are little. Like, we, they don't need much. It's not like, you know, we're going to have to pull them out of school because we have no money. So it was actually good timing for us because we are relatively young. I guess it sounded like it sounds like a now or never thing too, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Very cool. And so, you know, when they told you the mold was 100K, I mean, are we looking at like plastic injection type of thing? Or like, how did you learn that technology too? Or is it just also through Google? Um, It was through Google. I just, um, you know, I kept learning about plastics. And, you know, when you type in plastics manufacturing, you don't get much. You don't. And so I had to like learn these keywords like injection molding and 
blow molding and all that. And also going, just going to these factories and talking to people, you learn so much. And did you have any like pre-orders or like uh, market testing with like some friends and family before you got the mold made? Or did you just guys just decide, hey, let's just do it and see where this goes? We had no pre-orders. We did further down the line, we had, we went to, there's a trade show here in the U.S. for kids products. And there's a lot of trade shows, but there's one main one that we said, look, we had some prototypes and we said, let's just buy a booth and see what happens, you know? So we, we bought, we bought booth space. We had our friend design a booth for us in his garage. We drove it up there and we exhibited at this show. And that was sort of a turning point for us too, because we got so much traction. Like even we didn't even have product ready to sell. And we got written up in people, magazines holiday gift guide and daily candy and some really really strong pieces of press so i think that's when we knew we had something like it would sell you know we never knew the extent of it but like i guess the traction was there wasn't just like like silence or crickets right so exactly exactly (laughs) yeah because if it's crickets and you're putting your house on the line it's kind of scary probably 10 times scarier than not having that feedback too So how long did that process take from, say, you know, you had this idea to going to the booth at a trade show? Uh, That was exactly probably a year. From the time I had the idea to the time I actually started working on it was probably several months. You never know if this is doable. And so I want to say from start to finish until it was about a year and a half of design and mold making and all that stuff. Yeah, like it's interesting, everyone I talk to that's been on the Shark Tank, they're like, oh, well, you know, my friends and family only see me when I'm on TV for 15 minutes, but they don't see the year and a half uh, beforehand, like the everyday slogging away at this, getting rejected by suppliers and I know. all this stuff too. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> which, is why, which is why I always ask people the question from like idea to prototype or first sale, because I think it really puts it in perspective for someone else that's trying to do maybe what you're doing or just start something on their own too. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. One thing I realized with infant products is that the user is actually the toddler, but the person you need to convince to buy it is actually the parent, right? And so like, is that, does that make your marketing a little challenging or? It doesn't, you know, as a mom and before I started this business, I was like, I had quit teaching just for a year because I didn't know what being a mom entailed. So I was in these like mommy and me groups and going to taking my kid to these classes and all this stuff. And you meet so many moms and all they're talking about all day is, okay, what, what bottle works for you? Or do you like that blanket? And they're always just talking about products. You know, when you have a child, you just want to give them the best. And no matter what your socioeconomic background, a mom is a mom or a dad is a dad. And you just want the best for your child. Yeah, we're just wired that way, right? Yeah, exactly. So I had heard over the, you know, six months that I was doing this, like going to these classes, I just so much talk about products. And so, and I too had done a lot of research and I know what I like to buy. So it was actually easier because you're in that mindset and you're in the moment, you know, you can't predict what a child is going to like, but you know what a parent might like and what your friends like. And were you talking, were you talking about your idea already going to these classes or was this still kind of later on in the stage? I think about maybe eight months in when I had something, like when I had a real drawing and a concept, I started asking some of my friends with kids. I said, look, is this something that you might buy? 
And, um, you know, I started asking for feedback. And so let's go back to the story a little bit. So you got the molds made for about 100K. You know, what was, you, like, how many did you have to make as, like, the first run of order? Was it, like, 5,000 or? <laughs> oh, yeah. So in the beginning, um, I mean, thankfully, we found this small family-owned manufacturing place near us. And um, they let us make 3,000 to start, 3,000 units. And that for us was like huge, a lot of money to us. And we didn't even know if we could sell 3000 You know, it's it's a gamble. I mean, it'd be in your garage, basically, right? In your living room. Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> That's what we did. We, you know, they made us the parts. We brought it all to our um, living room. And then we, Mark and I would assemble them by hand every night. Yeah, and I understand the product looks kind of like a bird Cup, mm-hmm. kind of like I guess and it's kind of hard to explain just through audio but what did you come up with this design or kind of I knew I knew that I did want like an animal shape we had explored several different kinds like bear ears and frogs and whatnot but in the end like I just felt branding wise that we could do a lot with this little character like it's interesting because I see on your website you have like celebrities like I think like Jay-Z was using it or Kanye West was like drinking on this I was like wow I guess because it's kind of it's not I guess it's very neutral toddler like it's not like something like an adult would be ashamed of using and I guess <laughs> you know the straw's pretty useful too when you're drinking a smoothie or a cafe in the morning yeah well uh, yeah I know it's it's funny because we get a lot of emails like can you make a larger adult version <laughs> <laughs> and and that's not what we really set out to do but you know, maybe down the line, who knows? <laughs> yeah, because you think of like a guy that's, you know, six foot, you know, 180 pounds carrying this around. It's like a couple sips and then it's done. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that we, a lot of baby products, they look like baby products. But what we really wanted to do was sort of amp up the design aspect of it. I'm like, why can't kids have high design stuff too, you know? So I think that's the draw for some some parents. Yeah, definitely. All right. And so, you know, you were saying how you had 3,000 units on the first order. Like, how did you start selling that uh, once it was in your living room? What happened was, I think every Tuesday, my mother-in-law agreed to watch the baby. And all day Tuesday, I just put a bunch of cups in my car and I would drive around to the hottest boutiques in LA. So, you know, there's like the Fred Seagulls and these little Bell Bambini and these small, these boutiques that the celebrities shop at and they carry the nicest stuff. And I said, look, can I talk to your buyer or can I leave her a sample? This is a new product. It's just launching. And I would do my little sales pitch. I mean, that's really how it started. I think I opened maybe 50 accounts that way, just going door to door and begging people to put it on their shelves. Uh, What was your hit rate? Like say you go to 10 stores, like how many would actually talk to you or take your sample? Most of them were willing to take my sample. I want to say 90% took my sample, maybe 50% agreed to order. And it was in the beginning, I was like, if you want to order one, I'm happy to do that. (laughs) Like, Just please give us a try, you know? So I wasn't like a stickler about you have to order 20. And this isn't a case, you know, this is just please just try one. I see. And did you have all your pricing and kind of like the wholesale distribution figured out like in terms of like, here's what the wholesale price is, here's what your, you know, people that should retail it at? Or was it kind of like along the way too? No, that we were pretty, we were pretty solid about that. We knew what all the other cups out there cost. We thought ours was fairly priced. We were entering sort of a higher end market. It is made in the U.S. Like it's design. It's very giftable. So we felt that our price was there. Yeah, there's a premium that comes, fair price that comes with that too. So understandable. 
And so who was the first celebrity that you heard bought your product? Um, I think the first celebrity um, was probably, I don't know. She's not huge. I don't know if in Asia she might even be recognizable. But Allison Hannigan, she's pretty big. On a oh, she is the uh, How I Met Your Mother? Yes. She was the very first to be photographed with it on Us Weekly or something. Yeah, because I, I understand she's a mom now too, or I, I don't keep up with celebrity gossip. So. Yeah, she has two kids. And so how did you guys go from, say, you know, selling the first 3,000? Well, I guess before I get down, like, you know, did you guys sell out right away those first 3,000? or? No, we did not sell out right away. Um, in fact, our first run... We had several issues with it too. Like, you know, it's you make your mold and you hope everything is perfect, but then when once it's in baby's hands, you start to get feedback. So we're actually very thankful that we only made three thousand because over time we've made several improvements to the product in terms of durability and just based on user feedback. So we probably sold out of those first three thousand in gosh, I don't know, maybe a month. Oh, that's not bad. You should, it's a lot of product yeah, to move, so that's of, true. <laughs> a lot of packing in your living room too, I guess. I know. <laughs> yeah. But I guess the feedback you're talking about is kind of like, oh, my baby was drinking it and then he dropped it and then it cracked. And, yeah, exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> what it was. <laughs> I see. And then over there is just iterating from the mold, different materials and kind of going from there too. So, so, so I guess in general, you know, how many iterations have you gone through for the product now? Three or four. And they're very subtle. Like if you, if you put our very original cup side by side with the cup we have now, I don't think you would even be able to tell the difference. It's just very minor changes in the engineering. So, you know, like the way the hinge is shaped or something like that. Yeah. Like it's interesting, once you get into manufacturing, you realize like how stuff is made. You're like, wow, I never knew that. Like zippers and buttons and plastics and designs and CAD and Exactly. <laughs> and it's funny that once you get this eye, you start looking at products, like how they're actually made. You like go to like a department store, you like start analyzing it. Mm -hmm. Do you have a design background? No, I don't. But I'm making some leather wallets uh, here kind of in Asia, kind of with some Italian leather, kind of like it's much more simpler than an injection mold thing you're making. So. <laughs> but after a while, you talk to some people, you kind of know what everyone goes through. And then it's like a common struggle, you know, especially when we're not designers, too. So makes it interesting. All right. And so so you guys got, you know, you guys sold the first 3000 orders. You know, how did you guys decide to go on the Shark Tank? Um, we started a friend of ours who's a photographer just said, hey, you guys are starting a business. You should check out this show called Shark Tank. And so we started watching it and then we just got completely hooked on the show. We had only been selling our cup for, I want to say two months when we applied for the show. So we said, let's just go on the website and see, like, let's apply. And I mean, it was like a sign from God because <laughs> we went on the website and then it said, tomorrow in LA, we're having an open casting call. And this was at like 9 p.m. at night that we were just, you know, our kids were asleep and we said, oh my gosh, there's an open casting call tomorrow. What are we going to do? So we, we dropped off our kids at daycare at 7 a.m. and we rushed over there and we stood in line for seven hours and we just said, let's just try, you know, God knows we'll be chosen, but let's just give it a try and it doesn't hurt. It would be great exposure. We've actually, three months in, we really did need the money. So that's how it happened. Yeah. And did you guys, when you were at the audition, what did they make you do? Did they just talk about your business or? Yeah, you just, um, it was like in this big hotel ballroom and they just say, okay, you two go over there. And there were all these, these producers sitting at a table and you just, you have two minutes and you just do your little pitch. 
And then they ask you a few questions and they say, and then you either move upstairs or they say, thank you, we'll be in touch. And after our pitch, they were like, okay, you know, I think you should guys should go upstairs and fill out more paperwork. So that's how we started moving forward. I see. Did they make you wear like a contestant number, like an American Idol or like those marathons? Or uh, Gosh, I can't remember. I don't think, no, they didn't. We just had to stand in numerical order in how we were lined up. <laughs> and were there a lot of people there at this open call? Because I know the show gets bigger and bigger every year. Yeah, too, so. I... I I think our season, there were, I don't know how many were at our open casting call because we were, we were maybe 100th in line and I don't know how far out it extended. Um, but I think we were in our season, maybe 10,000 applied. Yeah, it's interesting that they show the people who get deals and don't get deals on the show. I wonder if the producers say, oh, this guy will be good for reality TV. So let's just get him anyways. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll have like some shock value. But... Yeah, it's definitely TV driven. You know, I, a lot of it is, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, like, like I think Stefan told me, like, when they make you walk through the corridor, they're like, oh, don't talk to the sharks unless they talk to you and they try to get you all stressed out so they can catch you when you, when it starts. Yeah, and... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it is what it is. And, you know, everything worked out for you guys. So when you guys went in, you know, how did you guys decide on, like, the percentage and how much money uh, you guys wanted, you know, as a, as a starter? Everyone wants more money. We, we really did want more money than we asked. So we were just in a mindset of like, how, what are, let's increase our chances of actually getting on the show and getting a deal. So that's how we decided on the, the number, 100,000. The percentage was, you know, we, we started at asking, I think we only wanted 15% to sell 15% of our company. But I let Mark handle that. I said, you know, I'm of more the social media, the product, customer service, and he handles the business aspect of the company. So I said, Mark, you decide what percentage you're comfortable with parting because I am totally, I trust you. And so you make that call. And so even when, if you notice our negotiations, like I answer most of the questions that have to do with sales or PR or that type of thing. And he answers most of the money questions. Gotcha. And did you guys have like a maximum equity you guys were willing to give up before you went in? Like you guys decided, okay, you know, we're, we're not going to go over like 40% or? Yes, that was it. 40%. <laughs> yeah. And so if they were saying, you know, 200K for 40%, it was still a no. Or... Well, no, we want, we, we were willing to give up 40% is which in the end we did give up 40%. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. I remember it was Mark Cuban and Robert was in this too, or I, I, my memory. So Mark owns 20% and Robert owns 20%. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Very cool. And so I, I understand after the show, they actually do the real due diligence too, right? It's not like, Hey, you know, we're going to give you hundred K and then shake your hands. And then tomorrow in your bank account, mm-hmm. you have the money, right? Like how long did that process take afterwards? Like a month, two months? Or? It was about four or five months. From the time we started due diligence to the time the day we got the check in the mail. <laughs> yeah, and you know these guys, they do their homework, you know, they'll flip over every stone and... <laughs> exactly. Oh, they know everything about us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was interesting. Uh, did you know Daniel and Stephanie, uh, the cupcake guys? The Yeah, Daniel Ransing. Yes, we know him. Yeah, I think he actually, they got the deal, but they ended up parting ways later on because I think they grew so fast that he was like, hey, Barbara, you know, we don't really need your money anymore. And yeah, I think they just both said, hey, you know, let's just keep in touch then. So. I think that happens quite a bit. Uh, I'm not sure the percentage, but I do know several people who... You know, and I, in the Sharks defense, I don't know whose fault it is, but sometimes even the contestants lie about their numbers and 
you know, you never know what happens. So it, it not all the deals go through. Yeah, like like you, you just want to be like, it's kind of like a, you know, win-win thing for both sides. Like you see some contestants that go on there and then they piss off like Damon and then he suddenly gets angry <laughs> like they're not being honest and then and then like Mr. Wonderful starts ragging into them and then you're like, oh, this guy's going to be so done in like the next five minutes. And, and then he is because, you know, maybe they just don't know the numbers well or they just uh, maybe aren't really driven to. So. Exactly. And that's funny that you say that because that was my biggest fear. I really did not want to be on television. I'm just not, I'm just terrified of that kind of thing. And so... I said, Mark, you know, I will be thankful if I make it out of there without being humiliated or just completely crushed <laughs> to a pulp because, yeah. you know, it's really nerve wracking and you, you get so self-conscious and yeah. Yeah. And, w- and when they find someone that's kind of like has a chink in the armor, they'll just keep drilling too, which is like, I'm like, oh man, for the guy that's there by himself, you know, at least you guys or a couple of you guys kind of had each other, but for someone that goes there himself, like, oh, I know, I know. This must be terrifying. Like you see Stefan's segment like in his first 10 minutes he gets ripped on for this whole internet thing too which is kind of funny oh yeah yeah and i think he forgot his pitch or something and then he ended up doing great but (laughs) yeah like he said his powerpoint broke or something it was was something crazy and then he just fumbled for like five minutes and (laughs) i guess it made good television (laughs) yeah it did it really did all right and so if we move on a little bit are you know mark and robert pretty hands-off for you to let uh, you know, you and Mark run the business or are they, do they check in like once a week or how does that work out uh, with them? Um, they're pretty, they're very hands off. Um, however, they are surprisingly a lot more involved than I, I think than I anticipated and in a good way. So um, what I mean by that is we do check in with both of them weekly. We just, and it's it's not anything formal. It's just, hey guys, here's an email of like, you know, any problems we encountered this week, what we accomplished, or, you know, just checking in. And they're very responsive. You know, sometimes Mark will email us back on a Friday night at 3 a.m. and it'll just be one thing like, hey, how did that trade show go? Or Yeah. Like, one thing you realize is that these super, super ultra successful guys, they work like around the clock. Like, it's oh, yeah. to like 6 a.m. emails and it's like, it's like nonstop for them. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we hear the ding on our phone that we have an email and I say, and I say, wow, if Mark Cuban at his success level is emailing at 3 a.m., I better respond, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that for a guy that's, you know, so far ahead of everyone that... Is still emailing people at three. I mean, I guess it's really those little things that set people apart, right? Willing to put in the time. And- it, it is. And it's, it's, it's a great motivator to see that. And wouldn't, you know, for us, we feel very thankful that we have such a mentor. <laughs> and so, you know, after the show, uh, you know, which form of marketing has kind of been the best for you or has this kind of PR, uh, TV kind of offline appearance been the main kind of bread and butter for getting the word out? I think the best form of marketing very early on when we didn't have anything Shark Tank related has been just press, like, you know, getting photographed with celebrities, being written up in some of the more prominent blogs. Um, That was the most powerful marketing for us. We didn't have a marketing budget at all. We've never placed an ad to this day. Social media was a weak spot for us at first. And then after Shark Tank and after partnering, so Shark Tank in and of itself was a huge marketing boost for us. Just being on that show was incredible. But then partnering with Mark, he's so social media savvy. We've learned a lot. So we're definitely a lot more active on Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, I have a blog now. So all of those things together have been our marketing. Yeah, one thing I realized is that Mark Cuban is very engaging on his Twitter accounts and 
Facebook, I think. Like, he actually replies on his Twitter. You can tell it's him. Like, he takes pictures of himself. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he knows it's like a good marketing tool. The more you interact, you know, the more people are like, oh, you know, you can talk to Mark Cuban on Twitter, you know, and you, you just start following him and then he starts sharing his stuff. And you'll see once in a while he keeps tweeting about his businesses that are on Shark Tank or like his ASX TV thing. And it's pretty interesting. Yeah, exactly. He's very involved. And I think, and I think all companies should be. It's just, it's hard. It's, you know, when you're a small business and you're doing everything all day, it's, you know, my, me and my husband, we handle every aspect of the company to, you know, doing Facebook posts and tweets every day. It's really difficult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a tool, I don't know if you use, called Zendesk for, like, customer service, and it kind of can take these Twitter interactions into tickets, too, and, like, Facebook messages. And then you can kind of reply all within their panel, too, and it's, it's pretty interesting. I don't know if you ever tried. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a customer ticket management tool, and so any email that comes in to say info at you know Lala Land, it can go into a ticket too, and then you can just run it from your iPhone, reply there, and kind of eventually, if you have someone that does your customer service for you, you know they can become an agent and help take care of these requests too. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I just went to one of their trainings yesterday, but that's, we're getting kind of off topic. So. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. Awesome. And so, you know, you were saying how press is uh, really big going on blogs. You know, were these blogs that you reached out to or did they just hear you about, you know, in the press and then they kind of proactively came to you? Uh, it was it was a mix. I want to say 50-50. Some of them just found us organically. So half and half. I understand bloggers get pitched on products all the time, right? Like how did you approach them? Was it the same way you did it to retailers in, around the LA area? Or? No, I mean, I know which blogs that I read or that my friends read. And so you just reach out to them and say, hey, can I send you a sample? Would you be concerned? And, you know, most of the times if these bloggers love it, they're willing to write an article. Um, I mean, that's what they do. So Yeah. And they get something to write about. And is it normal practice for them to keep the product after? Uh, I don't know. In our case, because it's a feeding product, like we don't really want it back, you know, after your baby's mouth has touched it. So, you know, we really are happy to give it to you. But I'm not sure, you know, sometimes they review very expensive big ticket items. So I don't know. Yeah, like, like a handbag or something like you don't want to just give give it away, right? Exactly. Like a thousand dollar stroller. Maybe they do have to send it back. I'm not sure. So, you know, being on Shark Tank, having all this big press, press success, you know, what is your biggest challenge now kind of looking like two, three years down the line? Um, our biggest challenge, I think is, gosh, uh, I think just growing. Um, we have all these ideas and things we want to accomplish, but just being smart about not getting greedy and not trying to do too much, you know, like we, there are, we've heard of companies that say, oh my gosh, I have this one product that's doing awesome. Let me launch 10 more. And then they're bankrupt. So we really just want to be smart about how we roll things out. Like this all rolling out an item to add to our feeding set. So we're just trying to, trying our best to just grow organically and sort of live within our means. Mm -hmm. And are both of you working full-time on this now or? Yes. Gotcha. Nice. So it's an entire uh, family business. So, <laughs> yeah, and I guess once the daughters are big enough, they'll be like little interns and I, I know. here and there too. <laughs> I, I would hope so. Yeah. So you mentioned about growing this from Lala Cup into a bigger brand, Lala Land, with kind of maybe some future different products. Was that something you knew kind of 
uh, halfway or was this like kind of like Mark Cuban said, hey, you need to think bigger and kind of more long term? No, we it was funny because it was we had always incorporated under Lala Cup, trademark Lala Cup in the back of our heads. Like when I when I said I wrote that business plan, I said, well, what if I don't want to make cups anymore? I can't call the company Lala Cup. So I had thought of just calling it Lala Land. And so I had reserved that name, you know, the URL, the trademark and everything. Um, and then when we partnered with Mark Cuban and Robert Herjavec, uh, we had to sort of make a new LLC to make everything seamless. And so we said, you know what, this is the perfect time to sort of transition to that company name. So that's how it happened. Is, is that pretty normal practice? Like when you get a deal, you make a new LLC, you put the business under that so they can have the equity shares all kind of like in a clean state, right? I guess. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess. I don't know. I think because for, for us, we are a U.S. company and Robert Herjavec is a Canadian mm-hmm. citizen. And so there were some, like, you know, we were an S-corp before and you can't have international investors. So it was a little complicated and that's why we ended up changing things. I see. Yeah, some technicalities to like exactly. let the lawyers figure that out too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you know what's one thing you wish you knew starting out. Now that you know you you are where you are now. Um. You know, I don't. I really can't think of anything because every single thing that I've been through has been a learning experience. And so I know that sounds really cheesy, but it's, I I don't think I would have done anything differently. Like every mistake we've made, we've learned 10 things from it. And so, and I think really this is the best way to do it. You, I, I, I feel like I know my business in and out right now because we've made mistakes and had to overcome hurdles and you know, done all these things. So I really, I can't say. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. And so how do friends and family, you know, take your idea now? Because I know, I'm sure at first when you told them, hey, we're going to put the house on the line and everything, I know kind of like, you know, being Asian ourselves, it's kind of very crazy to do that, right? I'm sure fa- your parents must have been like, oh my God, what are you doing, Hannah? And yeah. Like, is it a different perspective now, now that you guys are where you are? You know, everyone's been pretty supportive. Of course, you know, I'm to have typical Asian parents who always wished that I married like a doctor or a lawyer or something. Yeah. But um, my, you know, our parents, like my, my parents and Mark's parents immigrated here and they somehow like made a living and sent us to college being entrepreneurs, you know, so they were actually pretty supportive and they said, look, you know, if you guys think you can do it, I'm sure you'll do it in a different way than we did, but they've been hugely supportive in the way that, They've even helped us assemble cups in our frenzy, Shark Tank frenzy and all that. So, and they're really happy for us. And, you know, it's, it's exciting for them to grow. It is still scary. You know, they, they do oftentimes our parents remind us, you guys have three kids. Is everything okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess because they've been through it themselves that they kind of know what you guys will expect too. But, but I guess there's a parenting where that they know how hard it is. They don't want to put their children through it too. But, you know, when you guys say you're going to put the house down on it, you guys are serious too. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I guess, what's the phrase? Like, I think Theodore Roosevelt said, like, you know, the safest thing isn't always the best thing, but, you know, it's what you want as a parent by default just because the way we're wired too. So Yeah, exactly. And we're so, again, like I said, we're obviously if we lose $100,000, that's a lot of money. However, 
you know, we're not going to be in the streets. We both can have had educations. We can get, we can probably find another job. So that's why we really decided to take this gamble. <laughs> and so I understand your online store is on Shopify. Did you kind of learn this design yourself or did you have someone make this for you too? Uh, we, when we first started out, we, our online store was through Big Cartel. And I don't, I think some, a friend of ours had told us about it. It was easy. You know, it's a template. You just upload your colors and all that. So that's how we started. And then Shopify was a Mark Cuban referral. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of the Shark Tank guys are on that unless they've already like figured it out before, or maybe they're more tech savvy to go on like a custom platform too. So. Yeah, but it's very interesting. Do you run the order system or do you have someone that does that for you uh, in the back end now? Uh, we used to do that. Mark used to do that um, all by himself. But since uh, just recently, we not recently, but right after Shark Tank, we hired one full-time employee who handles all of our order fulfillment. Very cool. And so, you know, kind of just wrapping things up, like when your girls are in school, do they say like, oh, my mommy made this cup, you're drinking it. And <laughs> uh you know, I don't think they still they still don't have a grasp of it. You know, they know it's just their reality. Ever since the day they were born, they were just surrounded by boxes and cups. I think that's how they think. They think that's how people live. Like they, they think that everyone has boxes of stuff in their living room. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like hey, you don't have ten thousand boxes in your living room. What's wrong with you? And yeah, exactly. So uh, it's just their reality. I don't think they quite. I mean, my oldest is still only five. She'll be starting kindergarten in a week. So, you know, she knows a lot, but I don't think she really understands what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, maybe one day if she ever takes over the company, you know, she'll have a long history with. Yeah, uh, exactly. Too, and so. and the funny part is like, you know, her photo was up on Shark Tank and then and then they featured us on Good Morning America once and, and they came and filmed the girls. And so my daughters are always like, when are we going to be on TV next? And <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you know, this is not normal at all. <laughs> it's like, you know, there are people that, you know, move from the Midwest to L.A. to try to be on TV their whole lives. and. <laughs> Interesting. interesting. All right. And so my last question, you know, what's the biggest business lesson uh, you've learned so far? I think the biggest business lesson was that running a small business is a full-time job and then some, like it, it literally is your life. Uh, I, I don't know why people, they gave me this misconception like, oh, you, you own the business. That's going to be awesome. You're going to be like this mom who has time to play with her kids and yet you're still making money. And really, that's not the case. I mean, I think as an entrepreneur, you work so hard because it's yours and you just need to just, I don't know. That's the reality of it. Yeah. Like one guest told me that, you know, she was kind of like a mom, mompreneur type of, of entrepreneur. And she was saying how, I guess a lot of her friends who are in this, they can feel guilty sometimes just because you're spending so much time on the business and actually not on your kids too. Like, is that something you kind of went through too? Or? It, it definitely is. And so, and I had to learn a big lesson on how to balance that because I think, you know, I felt guilty. Like I was sending them, they're so little. There's she, like my second daughter started daycare when she was just one years old and I felt really guilty. Um, 
like, man, I should be at home with them. But yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm not doing this to buy a handbag. I'm doing this for my kids. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's because it's a lot of the people I talk to that are mompreneurs, they're doing it so that, you know, down the line, they can spend time with their kid as they grow up. And I think really, when you compare that to say, just working 100 hours and making X amount of money, like the payoff, you know, like this is, this is a time you're never getting back, right? So I know, I know. So all right, very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you guys want to find out more, you guys can go to lalaland.com. And that's L-O-L-L-A land.com. Kind of like Legoland, but uh, Lala, right? So yep. <laughs> And so uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, is there anything I missed out? How should we get uh, in touch with you, Hannah? Um, I mean, you can always message us on Facebook. We have an, an email address that is we're pretty responsive to. It's hello at lalaland.com. All right. Well, thanks so much, Hannah, for coming on the show. Uh, Otherwise, uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, I'll let you know when uh, this goes live. Thank you. And thank you for having us. Thank you for taking the time to tune into this episode. If you're an online store owner and you're confused about SEO, uh, check out the six course module that I have that'll teach you everything about keywords, uh, rankings, on-site SEO, off-site SEO, creating contents and branding. And so I created this course so you can get more visibility, credibility, and profitability for all your online store. And so it's available for early pre-bird enrollment now. There are three versions. Uh, one will just be the audiobook version. The full course will be uh, video and audio and the ultimate package will be everything included including a personal site audit uh, for me on the SEO perspective so if you're looking to remove the confusion on basic e-commerce 101 SEO uh, check out buildmyonlinestore.com slash SEO